with uh, the swing of a pendulum or the vibration of a quartz crystal or the radioactive decay of uh, isotope of cesium-133. They're all methods that we've used uh, to create increasingly accurate clocks. But no chronometer, whatever its source, can predict the actual period of time meant when someone says, in a minute, you know, doesn't matter how accurate your clock is, when somebody says, in a minute, boom. Rarely would such a minute's length be exactly 60 seconds, would it? Nor is just a second a second. And perhaps there's a few exceptions. to two shakes of a lamb's tail being 20 nanoseconds. Did you know that? And in a jiffy, when we say it, it usually doesn't refer to the amount of time it takes light to travel one centimeter. So that is a measure that it's been proposed as as well as being the time difference between clicks on a computer clock. Each of these descriptions of time are used to communicate a message rather than a measure. You know, that minute's not a minute, that second's not a second. Many times in the Bible, such as last week, Jesus in the wilderness, the, the idea of 40 days is there. It, it, it's a, a measure. Uh, though it might also be a, a metaphor of a time of spiritual challenge and change. In the passage today, our Lord puts a time scale on things. I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow and on the third day I will reach my goal. But his third day is not the day after tomorrow. Jesus is thinking ahead to Easter. And the resurrection on the third day, he's playing with our thinking as he starts to talk of time. On that third day, death is shown to be defeated, the price of sin having been paid. This is the work completed in his earthly ministry. But in his calendar, we're not yet at Holy Week. We have not had the Palm Sunday where the crowd will shout out that phrase at the end of the passage, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. No, we're not there yet, but that day is surely coming. As we 
approach that time, we might wonder about the danger that is posed to the Lord by those that are coming to him. Here we have the Pharisees. They come, and yet we see in our passage the keepers of the law warning Jesus of Herod rather than warning Herod of Jesus. Their suggestion to flee from Herod is actually against what God wants. It is against Jesus' purpose of dying in our place. They warn him of death. But Jesus has already been saying, this is what must happen. He has to die. He has to go to Jerusalem. The Pharisees mean well at this point as they try to talk to him about something that he's not that they think he shouldn't be doing, but he actually needs to. Their effort to change the plan that God has put in place is unintentional. Now, of course, Pharisees, in the most basic sense, are people who want God's will to be done on earth. And so spent their time searching and questioning, and yes, they are often seen as sticklers, and obstructors, and we might even use that term Pharisee to refer to someone who directly follows the rules, or is a religious hypocrite, or a job's worth. But that would be unkind of us and prejudice of us, because here we see that the Pharisees simply want God's work to be done, and at times some of them do it wrong, And at times, some of them actually do it right. A bit like us, maybe, in that regard. Nicodemus, who takes spices to the tomb on the day of the cross, is a Pharisee. And the arrested Paul, in the book of Acts, in front of the Sanhedrin, declares, I am a Pharisee. Not I was a Pharisee. I am one. The problem is we humans have a habit where we we stereotype people rather than treat them as individuals. If their clothes are not of our style, if their accent is different, maybe the length of hair, the ethnicity, the country they were born in is different to us. You know, anything is different. We go, they're not the same as us, are they? And we start triggering a cycle of what does that mean we think of them? Because we've judged not on truth, but on perception. And this is what we do with the idea of the Pharisee regularly. Yet Jesus goes to the homes of Pharisees and eats with them. And they come to visit him and he teaches them. The people that we might think of as baddies in the passage or in scripture are actually folk that Jesus interacts with continually. 
and tries to change their ways and change their thinking, but in a kind and loving way. 30-odd years ago, when I was with the MOD, uh, we had some folk that had been uh, developing some equipment uh, come to where I was working at the time because uh, they wanted to do some tests on it. And uh, these folk were really annoying. And more than that, they were very demanding. And they were not even particularly that great at what they were supposed to be doing. And it, it warned us, and it, it, it was a bit of frustration. And uh, the, the others that I was working with were, were all service personnel. And uh, in our section's tea room, one of the army corporals made a, a disparaging comment about civilians, which all the other personnel there agreed with. And I went, ahem. I'm a civilian. To which the response was, oh, well, we don't mean you. But the reality is they had unwittingly denounced 65 million people in the UK by the comment that had just been made. You know, by using broad, sweeping comments and generalizations about others, be it because of their background or where they come from or the color of their skin or their different abilities. When we make statements like that, based on generality and bias and prejudice, we are being hateful and not living with the open-hearted love that God has for the world. God welcomes all. He doesn't say fill in two forms and triplicate. He doesn't insist on a visa. God doesn't say, my wing is limited in size. You can't possibly come. I'll have you and you, but not you. God welcomes. And the Pharisees come. And Jesus welcomes them. And he engages with them. And he tries to correct misunderstandings as he teaches. But most of all, he loves them. And he even told one of them. He told Nicodemus in John 3, chapter 16, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That well-known verse from the Bible is being told to a Pharisee, that the Pharisee might learn and grow and live differently and that's what happens in that person's life. In our passage, it is clear that Jesus has in mind what lies ahead. But in him, there isn't fear 
of that journey that is going on. Rather, there is hope as he declares himself to be pressing on. Onwards he goes, towards Jerusalem, but not with thunder in his voice, even though it is the place that kills prophets. Rather, he draws an image, the opposite of the fox that is Herod. And again, you have to be careful here. As a fox, Herod is not clever, and he's not crafty. You know, you always have to watch out the stereotypes, don't you? But Herod is the fox that would kill and would leave destruction. And leave absolute devastation in his wake. Jesus offers instead himself as the image of the chicken. The mother hen. Not the one that is afraid in the sense of a chicken but that hen that gathers the chicks under her wing, offering shelter and protection. One might have thought the gathering and the shielding was the purpose of the temple, the purpose of God's people that worshipped there, those that oversaw it, those that proclaimed the word. But that old building has failed, and it is the temple of Christ's body that takes on sacrifice and forgiveness in a completely new way. Hope in life is the message that Jesus is taking to the city that killed those who come from God. And all the way there, Jesus is healing the sick and rooting out evil from hearts, driving out demons. And he does this each day. Jesus' tomorrow is not a manana. It's not in the sense of, well, it's not going to be done today. I'll get round to it sometime some point in the future will see me do that. No. That's the opposite of what we see in Jesus in his ministry. He's continually doing, building the kingdom. It's a continuous action, working through, through today, through tomorrow, through the next day, and the next, and the next, and the next. He keeps going even though he knows what lies ahead. Perhaps, I should say, because he knows what lies ahead, he keeps going. When we ourselves feel challenged by the world, let us journey onwards to serve God's purpose. May we reflect God's sheltering of those who are fearful of what the world brings. And instead of saying, I'll be there in a minute, 
act swiftly in the sharing of God's love. Amen.